Welcome back to What We Don't Know. I'm your host, Xander Schultz. Today, we're talking to Reginald Bolding, who is the founder of Our Voice, Our Vote, Arizona. It is wild that Arizona is potentially turning blue in 2020. I lived in Arizona in 2007, 2008, and uh, it was about as red as it gets. It had two Republican senators. The Republican presidential candidate was from Arizona. They had a terrible sheriff named Joe Arpaio that was being hailed as a hero at times within the state. And uh, here we are, 12 years later, Reginald's work and all the Arizona community organizers work is really a testament to what can happen when these community organizers have some good energy behind them and the proper funding. And uh, we may we may end up getting a blue state out of this thing. So it's exciting times in Arizona. I'm super excited to have him here with me and uh, sharing what he has to say with all of you. All right, let's get into it. One of the most i don't want i don't want to just say emotional but just inspiring emotional moments as, as you've been doing this work in arizona you know i i work with a team of of leaders uh and i call them leaders you know and they may be young um, but they're definitely leaders and you know to have people who uh when they first uh you know apply to be a part of you know our voice at what arizona you, they kind of read the description of what they'll be doing but they really don't know until you actually do the work and to see our team um, not only become inspired politically, uh, civically engaged, but the excitement that happens amongst their family. So their families who've never been, you know, civically engaged or, or, or voting or, or participating, they're now, you know, fired up uh, because their child is now working part of a movement. And, you know, the, the generations, like once you activate somebody once you like you activate their family for a lifetime as well so that 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 activation across generations and homes uh, through the employment of someone is just foundational and it's monumental there, there's a lot of ways to invest in politics right and i feel like what you're touching on is the most powerful argument for community organizers is there's there's of course all the down ballot implications all the benefits of having a larger organized group in each one of these cities, you know, that can work together and pass legislation. But what you're talking about uh, is also this like very intimate experience with politics that doesn't happen. Those opportunities aren't usually there unless we fund mm-hmm. these community organizers uh, effectively. That That's really cool to hear, hear that implication. It's an argument. I haven't made the employment version of that argument before, but but that's really really compelling. Are most of the folks you're hiring, uh, have they been involved involved in politics before, or it's a lot of young folks that haven't been involved before and haven't been activated? I, I would say, you know, 70 to 80% of the people who we hire, they, they haven't really been involved in politics. I even think about myself in general, you know, I, while, while leading a power building organization and, and, and one job and the other job, I serve uh, as a member of our state legislature here. And I had no idea that the state legislature even existed as a child growing up. I just thought it was, you know, <laughs> United States Congress. That's right. it. I saw, I thought, you know, House, Senate, President, that's it. I didn't even know that Larry apparently, existed. Apparently a lot of Democrats <laughs> thought that way because we lost every state, House, and Senate over the last 10 years. <laughs> so you weren't alone. That, that, is, that is true. 
So I find that often with my kids too. I mean, a lot of them they just don't they just don't know. And I call them my kids. You know, they, they they're growing. You know, they're you know many of them young adults, right? But um, once they uh, understand the impact that all layers of government have directly on their life, they become you know in- incredibly engaged in making sure that you know they're going to participate in who's going to be speaking on behalf of them at the highest levels of government, and, and will no longer idly stand back and just you know, uh, be complicit and complacent while, uh, you know, things and democracy uh, don't operate the way they should be. Before we get too deep into this, I want to make sure we're sharing your organization with folks, the overview of Our Voice, Our Vote, Arizona. Uh, If you had to describe the organization in a couple minutes, how would you describe it? You know, Our Voice, Our Vote, Arizona is a community power building organization um, uh, that's Black-led uh, with an incredibly multiracial team um, that really is primarily focused on making sure that our community has a seat at the table and they can actually flex their muscle uh, while, while they're sitting at the table. So we are engaged in electoral work um, and making sure that we are fighting to put people in office that represent the values that our communities care about. At the same time, holding people accountable once they are in office uh, to make sure that we can get the policies that we need. Because while we care a lot about the politics of what's happening, the policy impacts are the most important piece for our community as it has long-lasting impact. And so you're also in the House of Representatives, the State House of Representatives in Arizona. Which came first? Did you have the organizing group then, then the position or vice versa? You know, so I, I, I served in the, um, the state legislature first. Um, but my, my entry into the movement actually began. I, I, I began in the movement an uh, unconventional way as a teacher. I was a special education teacher in, the, in South Phoenix. Uh, and for me, you know, seeing my students walking to school in the streets because there was no sidewalks developed or revolving door of substitute teachers or, or as a teacher having to Xerox copy textbooks because we didn't have enough. But, you know, I, I just felt like there was more to be done, more that needed to. So I joined a group of other teachers and, and community organizers, and we created uh, a, a group called the Rise of South Phoenix to really rise up and say <laughs> that there's issues, there's it's things great, that man. we need to change. Yes, and 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 through that, uh, I, I eventually uh, you know ran for office because people were making decisions about our education system that hadn't been in the classroom for 20 plus years. So I ran as an educator. But one of the biggest things that really impacts that I think about is the impact of power. And when I think about power, I think about organized people, organized money, and then a position to make a change. So why I, I was in the position um, uh, to actually cast a vote to make the change, you know, creating organized, getting organized people and organized money was something that, that needed to be created. And, and that really eventually drew me to, you know, starting, the, uh, starting Our Voice, Our Vote, Arizona. I just got off the phone with a pastor Mike McBride from the Black Church Pack, mm. and he was talking about the the natural organizing force that that is the the Black Church uh, network. Is is education similar when you were coming out of education? You're like, oh, there are these other teachers. Were you able to meet with other schools? Was there a syndicate, like an untapped syndicate, you were able to tap into? You know, there was a there was a group of what I would call sort of social justice educators who understood that what's happening. Uh, in our in our communities, in our classrooms, uh, should not be the reality. Like simply driving two miles down the street, um, you see an entire different you know reality for kids. 
and we just, you know, uh, it, it just it was unacceptable. You know, my, my students had all of the knowledge and skills that they needed, but none of them had access and opportunity. And that's really the fine line, you know, between, you know, the knowledge and skills. You can, we know so many people who know so much, but they just have never been given access and opportunity to put it into play. And, um, you know, we, we said, okay, we're not going to allow that to happen. So let's, let's, let's grind. Let's grind. I imagine. So I went to uh, a public high school that had a lot of issues. I, I ended up being a high school dropout. Um, and teachers are asked to do a lot in those environments. And you're kind of like, you have to play all these different roles a lot of times for, you know, young people that don't have these other people filling these gaps and there's just not social programs for them. Right. So I imagine in a lot of ways, that's like, that's an education in public policy, just trying to serve kids from a community like that in terms of food programs, you know, mentorship programs, after school program, all these things that, you know, we, we now know are required to build healthy individuals. Uh, and so I imagine that, that process, you're like, okay, this is, this is a role. I cannot solve all this from right here. Was that, was that kind of your thinking as you were staring at all these problems? No, absolutely. And, and one of the, one of the largest components was making sure that we had, you know, talent and investment and from a talent standpoint, making sure that we're able to attract people who, um, you know, truly care about our, our students and our, and our communities. And then also the investment, we need the, the, the resources. So, uh, like our voice, our vote, we run things called um, uh, override and bond initiatives. So these are taxing measures that are put on the ballot um, for for local school districts. So uh, this past year, uh, we were able to successfully, you know, uh, pass a, a a bond to get three million dollars into a local school district so they can use that to invest in transportation and, uh, you know, Chromebooks and things of that nature. And uh, when we first got started, we ran uh, the largest high school district uh, override and bond election uh, in Arizona, which is the Phoenix Union High School District. And we were able to garner $298 million for that school district to actually transform uh, the programs that students could actually uh, participate in. That's wonderful. What was, what was, as you were transitioning, right, from teacher to public service, what was something you saw as a teacher? You're like, that's one, that's going to be one of the first things I solve. I can't believe how many people are dealing with that. And that's just, it's just a dumb problem. We can fix that. You know, it's actually a, a, the correlation between being a teacher and being in a, you know, in public services. I mean, they so directly intertwine. It's amazing. You know, uh, if you ever taught a classroom, just imagine having 30 students looking up at you as you're standing in front of the classroom, you, you have to be ready. If, you, if you're not ready, then, you know, it, it's an issue. And that's the same thing on the house floor. You pick up the microphone and you're advocating for an issue. You got folks looking at you and you got to be ready. So there's a lot of intersections uh, there. But the biggest the biggest impact is just the the value of uh, public policy making. Many people don't believe that they have the ability to actually craft legislation or advocate for legislation. Um, an elected official seems so out of reach to the everyday person um, that, you know, I, like I, I couldn't, you know, people would say, I didn't know I had to pick up the phone and call you. Or I didn't know that I could talk to you about an issue that, ma- that, that matters. Um, and because it, it could seem so foreign to the public to be able to, you know, reach out to your congressman or your United States senator's office to say, like, what you're doing, I don't, I, I agree with or I don't agree with. Or even to say, I think this should be a, a law. Um, so for me, I wanted people to see that everyday people 
could actually be in positions of power. Interesting. And when they're there, you could also, you know, change the dynamics of what that policy looks like. Right. So, so it wasn't so much, I'm going to go get this one issue. It's like, I'm going to let folks know that we can be participants in this broadly. Like I, that, that's what's most important to me. A- absolutely. Because at the end of the day, you know, what, there, we have so many different complex issues from ranging from criminal justice to environment, to healthcare, uh, to banking, uh, and, and so housing, um, you know, there, there, there's so many issues, but if you understand how democracy works, you're, you're not a one issue person. You can actually to participate in things that's going to create a healthy community. So when we launched the Feed by Tweet, we said we were going to fund Black-led swing state organizers. And a lot of folks uh, were not anticipating Arizona being on that list of swing states. You know, it's kind of like I lived in Tucson for two years when McCain was running against Obama. And like Arizona was Republican HQ. Uh, it's pretty incredible seeing as a swing state, I know it's polling pretty close right now. I think even polling ahead, uh, for Biden at the moment, if I'm not mistaken, which is, which is wild. And that's a testament to the work of yourself and organizations like yours. What has been most effective in that movement? Is it just getting people online? Is it a talking to a specific issue? What what do you think has been effective in, in closing that gap? You know, the biggest thing that really has fired people up in the state is actually, you know, seeing victories. And, 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 and that's important. You know, when you are when you're in the fight and you're in the grind and and you are getting beat up, it's hard to see sort of that light at the end of the tunnel. But what we've been able to do is see victories ever since SB 1070 and the Show Me Your Papers law. You know, you've seen groups of uh, organizing, not only in the Latino community, but other communities really coming together to say like, wait, we can actually, if we work together, we can change the dynamic of what's happening in Arizona. And you've seen, you know, our LGBTQ community stand up on uh, and say like, we don't want these non-discrimination policies. And then you also seen in 2016, um, it was an effort uh, to raise the minimum wage in Arizona to move it from at what, what was $8 and five cents to at least twelve dollars by 2020, and we worked like crazy, and we won. And wow. what we've seen is a 14 percent increase in, in individuals uh, take home wages since you know uh, we passed Proposition 206. And then we came back in 2018, and we changed the dynamic of the legislature. This is the closest the legislature has been since 1966. There's 31 Republicans, 29 Democrats in the House, and then there's 17 Republicans and 13. Democrats in the Senate. And we picked up the first United States uh, Democratic woman senator in Arizona history. So, you know, we've been seeing momentum and and people have said that way. When I get involved, uh, things change because to go along with those years, we've also seen higher participation than ever before. And that message is translating. Right. It's, you know, it's what Facebook aspires for. You need that dopamine hit. You need to do something and then get rewarded for it. You need it. Yeah, exactly. And and so, and so it started with, it sounded like, you know, with your story, some of it started with this law they put place where you could basically frisk people for their their immigration documents, right? Or if they were, if they were, if they were citizens or not. And there there started to be a strong It was so bad that the law said, it was so bad that the law said, like, if you looked like you were here illegally, they could stop you. Like, like, right. like what, what does that look like, right? That, yeah. That's beyond a dog whistle. That's just like a regular whistle at that point. <laughs> Some a, a wild piece of legislation. And you, you all are, 
you know, on top of being HQ for the Republican Party with McCain and everything, you also had like the world's most famous terrible sheriff over there with Joe. I'm going to mispronounce his name. Arpaio. Arpaio. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, Joe Arpaio. Yeah. Yeah. And and one of the most wild versions of our justice system with everyone being outdoors in hundred something degree heat wearing, you know, pink outfits. I remember, you know, that was one of his big, uh, what he was known for. Can you talk about where justice reform is at in Arizona right now? What's happened since kind of that Joe Arpaio peak? Yeah, no, that's a, that's a, a, a great question. And, 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 and it sort of correlates along the line of SB 1070 with the show me your papers law is that the actual sponsor of that law happens to be the, the Senate president. And what we did is we organized and we, uh, we were successful in the first recall election in, in, in Arizona to recall the Senate president. So the one who sponsored the legislation, we got him kicked out of office. And then in 2016, you know, with, with Joe Arpaio, what we saw is that he has just had, you know, inhumane conditions that people were living in, uh, openly uh, racist, Proudly, that's his uh, calling in 2016. Card. You know, yeah. right in 2016, we were able to de- defeat him and kick him out of office. Um, and right now, what we're seeing from a from a social justice standpoint, racial justice, criminal justice standpoint, is that that when we uh, collectively identify specific targets, um, whether it's policy or people, that we can be successful. Right now. In Arizona, um, there is a um, there. There's a few things that we're tackling right now that we know can be fundamental uh, within the state. Uh, so we have a use of force law, um, and it's uh, ARS 13-10. I'm gonna get real uh, nerdy for a second. Um, and this is a uh, the the deadly force uh, justification for law enforcement officers. So right now in our state statute, it allows for officers to use deadly force. Um, if they reasonably believe uh, that you have committed uh, a serious crime. So you, they don't have to be in imminent danger of their life. If, you're, if they reasonably believe that you've committed a serious crime and that you may commit another one, they can use deadly force. If you're trying to escape, so it's called the fleeing felon statute. If you're trying to escape after committing a crime, they can literally, it's legal to actually use deadly force. So we have to change that, that use of force justification and and that's why a lot of officer-involved shootings you see, they don't end up in uh, criminalized because the definition for use of force is so broad, you can, right. you can get away with anything. How do you prove that they didn't think you might have committed a serious crime? Like, it's so, it's so loose, that definition. You can never prosecute, I assume. You can never prosecute it. You can never prosecute it. So. For us, we want to craft it to say, like, you have to be in imminent fear of your life, right? Like, that's like, that's like, it's literally life or death situation in order for you to use deadly force. Anything outside of that, you shouldn't be using deadly force. I imagine, too, you all aren't making that up from scratch. I imagine that's the legislation in a lot of other states that Arizona is far. Is there anyone that, that has that, that, that same language that Arizona has, or is it unique to Arizona? No, so so uh, the the fleeing felon definition of use of force is predominantly across this country. I mean that 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 wow. is one of the single most important reasons why you know you have law enforcement officers who aren't charged because their use of force statutes are so broad. Uh, but you know states like Colorado that have been able to change the what their legislative makeup looks like. They just passed landmark 
um, uh, police reform legislation. So they've been able to change their use of force definition along with some other states. But we all we have to do that in order to make sure that we're creating a more just and equitable equitable experience. You've mentioned uh, you mentioned a, a lot of different victories in the state over this last cycle, this last two year cycle. Wh- what is uh, what makes you smile the most, whether it's a victory or just some outcome? What makes you smile the most when you think about your work? You, you know, I I remember when I so I'm originally from Ohio um, and, and, and I moved here uh, and it was sort of in the that it was, you know, people would refer to Arizona as the epicenter of hate. Right. And now, 10 years later, we're a battleground state, right? So, so from the epicenter of hate to a battleground state, right. it's just like phenomenal when you think about what that means. Um, and, you know, people would always say, you can't spell crazy without AZ, right? We're like, wait, no, that's <laughs> not something that you want to have about Arizona. But the thing that makes me smile is that now, like, we are 100% confident that we will help determine the outcome of the United States election. Like we truly believe Arizona will be, uh, uh, the 11 electoral votes will will go uh, to Biden. We believe that a United States Senator will have two Democratic United States Senators in Arizona. And we know for sure that we will flip uh, at least one chamber of our state legislature, which which would have been unthinkable, uh, unimaginable. So like just stepping back and, and thinking about you know, we've been dreaming about what an Arizona could look like if we were in power. It's huge. It's pretty. It's pretty wild. Yeah, thinking about Arizona is like just this flip, and I don't think I don't think it's caught up to the cultural zeitgeist. Like people don't understand what's happening in Arizona quite yet, and what's happened. Yeah. Have Have other community organizers from other state states come to you guys and like you know ask what what the hell happened here? Like how how did you all do this? And and if if that is true. What is like your best advice to those folks? It's, it's been a combination of us watching some states that have been a couple years ahead of us. Um, right. And then also some states that have been there for a while. So, you know, to have some of the organizers from, you know, California come out here and, and, and show us the, the work that they're doing or, you know, looking at some of like the strong tactics that are happening in the South from some black led organizations that have been. Right. Georgia is a good tactics. example. Exactly. So, so it's been a little bit of, you know, taking um some of the best tricks of the trade and then uh, and, and amplifying that to our context but then those states that are that that are that are moving forward that are really close to what, where we're at at Arizona just really trying to um really talk about the the importance of that long-term relational year-round organizing that that has to happen because the reality is you know election seasons are, elections are tactics that are then used to create change. So right. uh, an election in and of itself will not create the, the change that we that we want. We know that it's going to take that year-round organizing in order to make uh, the change that we that we care about. So one of the one of the things we're going to do over the next month at Defeat by Tweet, we're going to talk to we have thirty seven thousand monthly donors right now, and wow. the conversation wow. we're going to have with them is you know the incredible folks who have really you know all our donations are 501c4 black led 501c4s which as you know hard money to raise uh and these folks are all mm-hmm. stepping up throwing 9 18 30 bucks a month in there it's pretty incredible and so the conversation we're having now and it's through these conversations is you know racial justice hasn't been resolved just because trump's out there he's also he's not just a bad politician he's also the face of white nationalism let's continue 
to combat, you know, this, this neo rise he's trying to catalyze. And so when you think about, you know, what excites me is if we're able to keep this thing going and get that in between election cycle money for community organizers, and maybe it goes on four, eight, 10 years. When you think about a well-funded, our voice, our vote, Arizona for 10 years and all these reforms that when you talk about, Hey, we're about to win this state house, we might have two, you know, democratic senators, et cetera. What, upcoming victories excite you the most? You know, I think the biggest one is in 2022, an opportunity for us to have uh, a democratic governor. Uh, I mean, like that is that is foundational and change making, especially when we want to make policies that can directly impact our, our lives on so many different issues, especially, you know, uh, on the on the criminal justice front itself is that, you know, why we will have, you know, the uh, a chamber of the legislature, we still need the governor's, we need the governor's signature. So, you know, uh, to be able to, to change, um, you know, uh, you know, who, who's in the governor's, you know, office is, is foundational. Um, uh, and I think like that is one of the, one of the most impactful uh, races that we're, that we're focused on and, and, and that we know will make a huge difference. Super exciting. You're the second person to tell me, you know, a lot of people bring up sheriff DA races and you're the second person in as many days to say, Hey, we need to start winning these executive races as well. We need to start winning mayoral and governor races as well. That's, uh, that's really exciting to think about for sure. I just want to say thank you for all the work you're doing. It's an honor to, to support you all. And, uh, please let me know if you ever need anything. Uh, we're all here for you and rooting for you. Definitely. I appreciate it. And, and, and thank you for the support. It's really, um, you know, uh, leaders in a movement that say that there's a problem, there's an issue, and I'm going to step in and help create change. And, and, and I see you as, as that, to, you know, for so many organizations like ours. So I really appreciate you, you know, for you uh, and your vision. Thank you, brother. Is, uh, before we go, also, I just want to, I've, I've forgotten to do this a couple of times, just also give you the floor. If there's something, you know, that we, I didn't ask, we didn't naturally get to, but you think it's important to get on the record for like, have at it. You know, uh, right now there's so many things happening in our in our state, uh, in our country, um, from you know COVID to what we see with regards to racial injustice. Um, that it's it's important for us to really think about uh, how do we create uh, a movement from the moments that we're currently in, and and the reality is is COVID and and racial injustice. Um, these are just uh, inflection points, um, and these are, 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 are sort of the, the apex of what we've already seen. We've seen disparities in healthcare amongst, you know, communities of color. We've seen, um, you know, uh, you know, d- discrimination taking place from our schools to our criminal justice system. So this has just amplified those issues. And, and my hope is that we can use, you know, th- these moments to really talk about true impactful change. Uh, and, and I truly believe that when we look back, uh, we can say that 2020 was an opportunity for us to really uh, change direction for uh, our, our country. 100%. I've been, I've been telling friends, like, acute pain is better than dull pain. Even though it hurts more oh, in the yeah. moment, you, you address it, right? If, you're, if your hand's on the stove, you, you, you pull it off and, you know, you, you dress your hand in gauze and whatnot versus... Like, I don't know, as, 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 I don't know what, whatever the, the equivalent of adult pain would be, right? An infection or something that, you know, you eventually lose your leg because you didn't address it. And so I think in a lot of ways, the story is definitely not over right now. And in a lot of ways, there's a version of this Trump election, COVID, the George Floyd killing, all these things that are unfortunate and have 
had terrible implications in the near term that make us yeah. more reactive in sustained ways. I, I feel like so many of the conversations I hear everyday people having are very mature conversations. Like Bel Belgium is taking yeah. down statues of King Leopold. Like we're talking, it's not just like policing, like we're talking about the effects of colonialism, the slave trade, like yeah. really, really uh, mature conversations around the legacy of history and, how, and viewing history as that's much shorter than maybe we viewed it in the past. And, and how this deeper understanding of how these things go from one iteration, oppression goes from one iteration to another. And we need to probably get a little bit uncomfortable or a lot of people need to get a little bit uncomfortable on how dramatically we need to change to address those things. No, absolutely. No, absolutely. I will say it. I will say it. All right, brother. You have a wonderful day, man. Thank you so much for taking the time. I appreciate it. Thank you. All right, man. Take care. Thank you for listening to What We Don't Know. If you're looking for more content like this, you can head over and be a supporter on our Patreon, patreon.com slash WWDK. You can also follow us on social. We're WWDKpod on Twitter and Instagram. I hope this finds you happy, healthy, and safe. All right, take care. <laughs>